What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are all here with me today. We've got a wonderful show in store for you with a fascinating guest, actually a very fun guest too. I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, so uh, I hope you will enjoy it. Uh, just a couple of quick announcements. A, a big shout out to uh, all my loyal fans who came out for my webinar this week on how to use a podcast to pivot your business. I really appreciate you all for coming out. And uh, also a big thank you to everyone who signed up uh, for my upcoming class uh, podcast your passion my introductory class all about podcasting and uh, I really appreciate it I had such a tremendous response from the webinar uh, if you want to learn more about the class please go to talkradio.nyc slash capital p y p for podcast your passion uh, class starts on Tuesday it's a four week one hour a week class I hope you'll join us uh, this is kind of the second time I'm running through it the People in the first class really loved it, got lots of great testimonials from people, um, really wonderful, and uh, yeah, so we're doing well, and uh, thank you all. All right, awesome. So let's get started with our quotes of the day from Mike Dooley in the universe and from Abraham. Let's see what they have in store for us today. First, from the universe. When you think a new thought, entertain a new dream, or mentally choose a new goal, 
your thoughts leave you and go out in every direction to the farthest corners of the planet. They carry a life force all their own, like ripples created when a pebble is tossed into a pond. You can't change this, but you can totally use the heck out of it. Think good thoughts, the universe. Ah, we love our quotes from Mike Dooley in the universe, reminding us that our thoughts uh, carry an energy to them. Our thoughts uh, have... Um, uh, substance to them. Our thoughts are so much more powerful than we give them credit for. And that when we are thinking, we're kind of like these giant antennas that are constantly sending and also receiving the energy of just what's around us. And I'm sure you've all experienced, like you you, you walk into a room, maybe you, you're at a party and you walk into a room and a couple of people there and they're really quiet and they're staring at each other and you could tell like you just missed like a big fight or something. Or you walk into another room and, and you can feel people just feel good and they're lively and they're laughing. You can feel the energy of the room. So that's people giving off the energy that you're receiving and then you're receiving that energy. And what Mike Dooley is talking about here, what the universe is telling us, is that when we think thoughts, the energy around those thoughts kind of get transmitted out and go everywhere. And this is why sort of paying attention to our thoughts, paying attention to our focus, our intentions, our dreams, our visions is so important. And I believe this is really comes to the heart of why Mike Dooley is such a big advocate of visualization, of just taking some time every day to visualize in your imagination what it is you want to create in your life. What is it you want to see? You know, what is it you want to experience? What is it that you want to feel? Because behind that visualization, that, that imagery, it, it, it gives so much more power to our thoughts so that when these thoughts get transmitted out, it's kind of like that energy goes out and starts to draw to you the things you need to actually create what you're visualizing. You know, it, it's we're making that effort to really put our focus and our concentration on what we're emanating, what are, we're transmitting, what we're sending out there. So uh, I hope this kind of helps to explain why our thoughts are so important. Now, look, you, you all know that, that I am very well aware we're not just our minds. We're our minds, our hearts, our bodies, and, and our spirit. It, it all comes into play. But our minds kind of help to direct the show. You know, I, I remember one time there's a quote that says the heart, the mind should be the heart's soldier, right? Our heart is where these, these dreams and these visions emanate from, but our mind is the tool to really help to craft it and to bring it into being and to help it to be something real. So let's not discount the mind, but let's remember that the mind is one piece of this four-part puzzle that's so, so powerful. That's who and what we are. So oh, an awesome quote from the universe. I'm sure my 
guess we'll have something to talk about that. All right, let's see what Abraham has to say today. Children desire freedom, and every particle of their being from their source says, you are free. You are so free that every thought you offer, uh, back to thoughts, the entire universe jumps to respond to it, which is what our first quote was all about. And so to take that kind of knowing and try to confine it in any way defies the laws of the universe. You must allow your children to be free because the entire universe is set up to accommodate that. And anything you do to the contrary will only bring you regret. You cannot contain those that cannot be contained. It defies law. Abraham. So, you know, we've had a couple of quotes over the last few weeks around children. And you guys know, I, I always feel when Abraham's talking about children, he's not just talking about children. He's talking about the, the child within us. But, but what Abraham is, is emphasizing here, and this is something that is, this is sometimes a, a reoccurring theme with Abraham, is, is this idea of freedom, that, that freedom is one of these innate desires that we have, that we all want to be free. And, and personally, I think this is why, especially here in the United States, we've been having such a hard time with the lockdown and this quarantine measures, because it kind of goes against our innate nature. Um, so I understand that at the same time, we do have to be intelligent. We do have to, uh, protect our health and do what is best, uh, because this is a very serious situation. And while things are getting better, you know, we still need to be vigilant. And believe me, I am as tired as anyone else about being cooped up in my apartment. We're going to be talking about being cooped up in apartments today, but it, it's, and again, sure, we desire to be free, but but let's be intelligent about how we're being free. Let's be mindful of our environment, of our situation, of everything around us and, and do it in an appropriate manner. Now here, Abraham is talking about children. I think what Abraham's really trying to get at is as parents, you know, we, we want our kids to have the best life they can be. And so we try and control them and tell them, look, don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. Don't do that. It's bad for you. Don't do that. And so we're constantly correcting them and telling them what not to do and what not to do and what not to do. And that kind of goes against their innate nature of exploration and play and trying this and trying that. And I'm not saying that as parents shouldn't correct their children or guide them in a better way. But just remember, you can't, you know, the more you try and restrict children, the more you try and, 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 and put fences around them, the more they're going to want to break out of the fences, the more that rebellious nature comes out. Now, not everybody is a rebel, of course, but it's kind of like the more we put up a wall, the more the resistance pushes against it. And so when we learn to find better ways, instead of putting up walls, to maybe put up guideposts and signposts and, and maneuver them. Now, look, I'm not a parent. I know I'm making this sound very simplistic and it's much more complicated and much more difficult than I'm saying. I'm just trying to convey the feeling behind this quote. And believe me, my heart goes out to anybody who has young children at home and has been with them for the last two and a half months. And I'm, I, I really, I don't know how you do it. I, I really don't. And my, my thoughts and prayers goes out to you. And, and I hope that this idea of, of 
sort of ways of managing your child's desire for freedom kind of can help to to not um, put a damper on your children's spirit, but to maybe guide it and direct it in a way that's just more fruitful and more creative. So, um, we'll see what our guest has to say about this. But two uh, wonderful, great, <laughs> amazing quotes from Mike Dooley in the universe and from Abraham. I hope you've enjoyed them. You know, I always do. And it's kind of interesting. You know, the quotes, again, I swear to God, I do not cherry pick these quotes. Um, they are uh, uh, the quotes that, that come to my mailbox, you know, every Thursday morning. So I'm not really uh, uh, selecting them. The universe is selecting them for me. So before I introduce my guest, quick shout out to my loyal listeners, Patty in Tucson and Sanaya, who said she had fun on the webinar. Thank you, Sanaya. Um, thank you all for tuning in. Remember, you're enjoying the show. Please share it with your friends. All right, let's get going. I would love to introduce to you my guest. Uh, Felice Cohen is an author, speaker, Holocaust educator, and is known nationally and internationally as the woman who lived in the world's smallest apartment which of course had to be here in New York City because Manhattan has the smallest apartments in the world. Uh, her second book, uh, 90 Lessons from Living Large in 90 Square Feet or More, um, which is a recipient of numerous book awards, is a want-to guide motivating people to be more of what to do more of what they love by letting go of extra stuff. This book was inspired by a YouTube video of her 90 square foot New York City studio that went viral with over 22 million views. Wow, gaining media attention across the globe. Felice has been featured on Good Morning America, NBC, CBS, Fox, Cirrus, NPR, Time, Forbes, Globe and Mail, New York Daily News, and the Daily Mail, just to name a few of the media outlets. She is also featured in a documentary on tiny living, which enabled Felice to live large in that tiny studio uh, that is that she has been a professional organizer for over 25 years. As the grandchild of two Holocaust survivors, Felice is also the author of What Papa Told Me, a memoir about her grandfather's life before, during, and after World War II. Uh, the book has been endorsed by Eli Wiesel and Yad Vashem in Israel and is taught in schools across the country. It's been translated into Polish and has sold over 35,000 copies around the globe. Felice is also featured in two documentaries focusing on grandchildren of survivors of the Holocaust. And it is my pleasure to welcome her to the Conscious Consultant Hour. Welcome, Felice. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Sam. Oh, my pleasure. I love those quotes. Yeah. Aren't they very apropos? They always, you know, I, they, they, they're so random, but they're always so apropos for my guest and what we end up talking about. I have thought of a lot of things that you were saying that Abraham said and about my grandfather. So we can get into that maybe later. Ah, good, good, good. So, so I have to ask you, when you made that video of your apartment that went viral, did, did you have any intention of like becoming like a media star and going viral and having all these people uh, watch your video or was it just kind of a goof? I actually didn't make the video. The video was made by a woman named Kirsten Dirksen who uh -huh. makes videos of tiny homes, apartments around the world. And she found out, she saw an article of me in the, uh, in the New York post newspaper and so she messaged me and said can I make a video and and I saw her other videos and they had a few thousand hits um I mm -hmm. never 
expected what would happen happened. Ah, it's pretty amazing. Okay, okay. And so you've been a professional organizer for a really long time. Um, is that something that you kind of just fell into, or is it something like you had sort of a natural talent for as a kid, so it just made sense to go in that direction? Well, it's funny. I'm I'm coming to you right now from Cape Cod at my parents' house, and I'm actually in the bedroom I grew up in. If you can see behind me, there's ah, two closets. Yeah. Now, I grew up with two huge walk-in closets that together wow. are almost 90 square feet. So growing up, it was like a, it was a game for me. I'd take everything out. I'd organize it. I'd put it back in, and it was fun. And I never thought I would become a professional organizer um, in college for fun, for, you know, exchange for pizza. I'd organize friends' dorm rooms. It was just something like a puzzle for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Wow. Two huge walk-in closets. It's like people would kill for that here in Manhattan right now. <laughs> All right. Um, I want to talk about um, your books. I want to talk about kind of the, the, the whole story and everything, but we got to take a quick break. So when we come back, I want to ask you about which one was your first book and what was the inspiration behind that and kind of how you got started. And then we'll kind of take the journey from there. Okay. Sounds great. Awesome. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern right here on talkradio.nyc and on Facebook Live and all across uh, social media. So everybody, please stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're speaking this hour with Felice Cohen, author of the book, uh, 90 Lessons for Living Large and 90 Square Feet, and What Papa Told Me. So uh, which book did you write first, Felice? Uh, my first book was What Papa Told Me. Ah, uh, okay. And, and what really... I mean, other than the fact that your grandfather told you these stories, what really made you decide to create a book around this? Uh, well, the, the simple answer is my grandfather asked me to. Um, oh, he did. Know, he, had never, he had never spoken about the Holocaust when I was growing up. And it, and it wasn't until college that I found out that my maternal grandmother, the woman I am named after, committed suicide. She had been an Auschwitz survivor. Oh, and I didn't, okay. I didn't know that. And so when I found out, I called and asked him why. And in order for him to tell me why she committed suicide, he had to talk about the Holocaust, which he hadn't oh. talked about. So he told me what happened to her. I, I just started writing in college. I wrote about my grandmother. And I got such feedback from so many people. But the most significant was from my grandfather, who felt relief having unburdened himself from her story. And that's when he asked oh. me to tell his story. Ah, I see. I see. So as a child, like you knew your grandparents were Holocaust survivors, but you just didn't know the story around it. I didn't know any of the stories. You know, in middle school, you, we read night like a lot, a lot of kids do. And, mm -hmm. and I didn't know how that related to the Holocaust. And my mom came in and spoke to my class. And, and the thing she was saying kind of freaked me out. So I, I walked out of the class. I wasn't ready. Um, you know, my grandfather was my best friend. We were so close. And I wasn't really ready to hear those stories. Um, and then it was in college when we started talking and I never thought it would be a book. Never. Oh, I, I thought I was just writing his story and I'd make copies of Kinko's and hand them out to the family. I, I imagine it must have been 
emotional both for your grandfather and for yourself uh you know emotional for him to to tell these stories after holding on to them for so many years but also very emotional for you to hear these stories as well absolutely you know there, there were moments when we would be working together either at his apartment in brooklyn or in the winter in boca where all the jewish grandparents go <laughs> yes and, uh, and we would be sitting there and at first you know, we had never kind of done anything like this. So I was asking questions and I was really in kind of journalist mode. I would say, okay, mm. you woke up next to a corpse, then what happened? Mm. And it wasn't until I got home and started typing up these stories did the emotions really come out for me that I realized uh. these weren't just facts you read in a history book. But for my grandfather, there were many times when he would be speaking where his eyes would glaze over and he mm. would not be in the room with me. He would be back there because in order to remember, he had to relive them. And yeah. for many survivors, they couldn't do that. It was too hard. But, yeah. you know, I like to say my grandfather's brain was like a sponge. You know, when you squeeze a sponge uh, just a little, a few drops come. And the more you squeeze, the more comes. And we worked on this book together for years. And every time I would go back and we'd talk about it, he would remember a little more and uh, a little more. And um, he would get emotional. There were times where he would be crying. Mm, and mm. You know, if you've ever seen your grandfather cry, it could be a little unsettling. But it was like this, this journey we went on together. Right, right. I, I, unfortunately, like I never knew my grandparents because they all died. Both my mom's and my dad's grandparents died before I was born. Not because of the war. They, they, they all, I think, had cancer. Um, you know, for different reasons. Um, but, but all my grandparents came over from Europe. I think, like, I know my mom's came over before World War One, and I think my dad's came over before World War Two. So we kind of escaped that, but all the relatives in in Europe like were exterminated. So um, I, I was very fortunate that my grandparents all were over here, um, except there was one cousin that my sister in Israel found who was in Russia who survived. That was a first cousin of my mom's that we didn't even know about until like, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. And, uh, you know, my mom had a reunion with her and stuff, and that was very emotional for her. Um, in, in writing the book, were there any sort of lessons for you that kind of came out of your grandfather's experience that you didn't expect or that kind of surprised you? Absolutely. You know, I grew up on Cape Cod, like I said, and not that many Jewish people on Cape Cod. So I grew up, I say, feeling more preppy than Jewish, right? And right. I and I kind of was, I was not, I knew about the Holocaust, and I, I think I was a little fearful of people knowing I was Jewish. And then I went to college, and there were a lot more Jewish people, and then I moved to New York, and it was like, mm. hello. But I think when the book came out, it was suddenly I was talking about the book and I was talking about my grandfather around the country and I wasn't about hiding anymore. And I was really proud of the fact that my grandfather had survived and what he did and stood up for his himself and, and the religion and, and standing behind it. Um, but one other thing, and this was big, it was, you know, I, I remember doing a talk once and someone said, can you keep it light? And I said, you know, it is about the Holocaust, but really as tough as some parts of the book can be, Ultimately, it's about hope and it's mm. about survival. Mm. And when we think of what we're going through now with the COVID-19 and, and, you know, these restrictions and all these things, we can get through this. You know, this mm. isn't as bad as what that was like, what my grandfather and millions of other people went through and they survived. And, yeah. and you can survive. And, 
And one of the things you were talking about with the mind, my grandfather, when asked how he survived, he said it was by being lucky and working hard, but also because he believed, he believed every day, he told himself that one day he would have a wife and children to replace all those who were murdered. Mm. And that, that was his belief, and it just kept him going wow. for five years. Wow. Uh, how old was your grandfather during the war? Uh, 18, 19 when it started. Ah, okay, okay. And he yes. met your grandmother during the war or after the war? Right after in the dispersed, dispersed placement camp in Bergen-Belsen. Ah, uh, oh, is that where he was, Bergen-Belsen? Yeah, that was the last one. He wow. was in eight different camps, and um, that's where he ended up. And, uh, and actually, he got to the camp about a month before it was liberated, and he had walked, um, you know, in this long march. And when he got there, he saw a girl from his hometown, and he ran over to her, and she didn't recognize him at first because uh -huh, nobody course. looked like anybody. And yeah. uh, she said, you have two sisters here. And oh, wow. one died the day before the camp was liberated, oh. and the other one um, was the only other one in his family to have survived. Mm -hmm. What, what um, I'm just out of personal curiosity, what, what town were, was he originally from? He was from Szczekoszyn in Poland. Oh, okay. And my grandmother was from Ludge. She was in the Ludge ghetto at the first. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, my mother's uh, uh, parents were from uh, a town called, uh, I believe, Lechowicz, uh, which was like... or. Um, Sometimes Poland, sometimes Ukraine, sometimes Russia, you know, it was one of those areas that kept changing hands. But yeah, also one of those small uh, shtetls, as they say. I don't, I don't yeah. know if it exists anymore. Um, and so he met um, this woman, uh, your grandmother, who eventually became his wife. Uh, oh, when did they marry? Did they marry like right after the war? Did it take some time? Um, they married soon after, you know, they wanted to save some money and they had to get healthy first and all of that. And, you know, the German government gave them some money to kind of get started. And uh. they were living in Regensburg in Germany and they had had my daughter after they, and they had my mother after they got married. And when my mom was about one or two, some people threw a rock through the kitchen window and it almost hit my mom in her Ooh. high chair. And my grandparents got very scared and they said, we better get out of here because they thought it might happen again. Sure, and, sure. Uh, he came over uh, to New York and lived in Brooklyn. Ah, okay, okay. And and so what happened with your grandmother? Why did she commit suicide? So my grandmother was in the Ludge Ghetto, and she was the youngest of 11 children. 11? Uh, you know, wow. Then, 11, right? <laughs> You'd never get in the bathroom. So she was the youngest <laughs> of 11 kids, and her oldest sister had twin boys. And at the beginning of the war, in Ludge Ghetto, you know, they it became they it was it became lockdown. Nothing could come in and out, and so a lot of people starved right away. And most mm. of her family died. And at one point, she was with her oldest sister and the twin boys, who were about two or three. And two Nazis came in and they took my grandmother's sister. And my grandmother was about mm. thirteen, and the sister started yelling to my grandmother, "Promise to take care of my boys." Of course, my grandmother promised, and and the next day the Nazis came back and they took the boys. And my grandmother felt such guilt. And right after that, they came back. And this time they took my grandmother and, and they took it to Auschwitz. And it was in Auschwitz. She saw what happened to little kids, you know, ripped apart in tug of war, thrown into bits of fire. And the guilt my grandmother had just grew. And my grandmother realized the only way she could survive was by kind of putting that in the back of her mind and, and just trying to keep herself alive. And years later, after the war, when she was living in Brooklyn, married with two kids at this point, 
Her sister had also survived and gone to Paris. The sister came and visited in New York. Uh And it was on that visit, she asked my grandmother, why didn't you save my boys? Oh, no. And the guilt my grandmother felt just kind of came all the way back, and she couldn't shake it. You know, they have survivor's guilt and all this. You you think of the worst thing to happen to you and have it all kind of come flashing back. And, you know, my grandfather told me they tried shock therapy. They tried all kinds of stuff. And and they thought she was doing better. And then one day she just kind of, she just couldn't take it. And uh, she hanged herself. Oh, geez. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. How long, how long ago was that? Um, It was in 19... Uh, when was this? Um, roughly, so, roughly. And, yeah, my mom, uh, 40 years? No, it had to be more than that. I'm Maybe 53 years ago, 54 years ago. Wow. My mom was 18. My uncle was with my mom. He was six at the time. And they found her. Wow. So, yeah, so it was like 50, 50 something years ago. Yeah, it's kind of the, the sometimes we don't realize that the traumas that we live through, we, we carry them with us, right, for a long, long time. And they have a, they, if, if we don't deal with them, if we don't work with them, if we don't shine the light on them in some ways, that they can really eat us up inside. Um, I'm just curious from this whole experience, from, from writing the book and 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 from hearing your grandfather's experience and what happened with your grandmother what did you learn from all of this you know i learned that the human spirit can go on i mean aside from there being horrible people in the world you can survive you can survive the most horrible heinous things and somehow be okay i mean my grandfather ended up starting a business and he just loved his family and he didn't have any hate in him he just kind of went on with his life and, and, you know, we're resilient. We are resilient and this COVID is showing us, you know, what we can get through. And I, and I think that's, that's important to know that no matter what happens, how strong we can be. Yeah. 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 Okay. Just, just one last question and then, I, and then we'll take a break and we'll move on to, to your other book. Um, uh, what, yeah, I mean, you kind of touched upon it, but I wanted to ask you sort of what is the, the lesson in the book for today for people like what if, if someone picks up this book and reads it today what do you hope they really glean from it and 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 how do you hope it supports people today uh i think the word hope i think it's it's about keeping us hopeful in this time of uncertainty in this time uh-huh. of fear i mean at the beginning when you every day i woke up and i thought is it did i have a nightmare what the hell was that and i think about what it was like at the beginning of the holocaust and they would wake up every day and go okay wait what's happening is our world crazy are we in prison are we and i think it's just about having hope that we can get through this and um to just just to be kind to others just to have hope absolutely yeah to be kind to others is a big one because you never know what the other person is going through you don't know what they're carrying with them you don't know what difficulties so kindness goes a real long way doesn't it today absolutely okay great so let's take a quick break and when we come back um let's talk a little bit about what happened after that video went viral and and sort of uh, you know what sort of motivated you to uh, uh, to then create your second book and all the stuff around it okay and it really and, and thank you, Felice. I know this is a, a, an emotional topic that we just covered, and I really want to thank you for being open and honest and, and sharing with our audience. 
My pleasure. My pleasure. All right. So everybody stay tuned. We're going to be right back after this. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. I see we've got listeners from all over the country and abroad. Thank you all for tuning in today. It's a, a special show uh, with a, a, a guest who uh, I just recently, not that long ago, got connected to, uh, Felice Cohen, who uh, uh, is the author of two books. Is it just two books or is there a third book in there I don't know about? There are a couple other little books, but these are the main ones. Told me all about her, his uh, sort of a memoir of her grandfather, of experiences in the Holocaust and 90 lessons for living large and 90 square feet. Um, so let, let's dive into that. So uh, this woman, uh, Kristen, you said her name was? Kirsten. Kirsten uh, created this video and it went viral <laughs> and it got huge numbers of views. What was the video really about and, and why do you think it, it went viral and attracted so much attention? Uh, so the video focuses on me living in my 90 square foot New York City studio and 90 square feet is really the circumference of my Honda Accord to give you an idea. Uh, it's a fifth floor walk up on the Upper West Side and I moved in there actually because the rent was low. Mm -hmm. And it allowed me to quit my full-time stressful job and finish writing my grandfather's book. Um, now, I had no idea what would eventually happen. Um, so the video really touched a nerve in people, I think, because it was at the beginning of this tiny house movement. It was right kind of at the cusp. And people were starting to get interested in living tiny and living with less. And I think some people had a real kind of had a problem with it. A lot of people were like, oh, like she's nuts. Uh, what is she doing? But I think, you know, we've been told our whole lives to like think big and to grow up and live in a big house filled with stuff. And, and I think we're learning, especially during this quarantine, that we have all this stuff and so many people are now getting rid of stuff. Yeah, and absolutely. It, yeah, yeah. So in the video, it's showing how I was happy living with less hmm. and how my life just kind of, I planned to stay one year just to finish writing that book. But I didn't want to change my lifestyle, so I stayed five uh, years. Oh, really? Wow. And, and, and just curious, 90 square feet, what did you have in the apartment? <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so it was 12 feet by seven and a half feet. And I, as an organizer, I know to save space, you have to go up. So uh, I had um, I had one brick wall and I had a little mini chaise and that became my, quote, living room. And on the other two walls, I had really high, I had high ceilings, so I had high shelving, uh, those baker's racks that you could just go up and, and on them I had totes and each one was labeled. So I knew where my toiletries were, or my sweaters, and I had put 77 boxes of stuff into storage before I moved into this tiny space thinking wow. I'd get it after I moved out. But every year I agreed to stay another year. I went back to storage and I started getting rid of stuff. And after five uh, years, I had gotten rid of all 77 boxes. Wow. Storage, storage is a billion dollar industry. People yeah. are paying month after month for stuff they don't even need or want or yeah. remember what's in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did this video become popular? Was this kind of like, how long ago was that? I think it's been 10 years the video years. went uh, So like viral. this is long before, uh, what's her name, Marie Conte? 
Marie Kondo. Yeah. Yeah, Marie Kondo. Yeah, she copied all her tricks from me. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but why do you think? I mean, uh, again, like being very organized and getting rid of stuff. I mean, that 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 seems to be something people are resonating more and more with. And I think especially now with the lockdown, people are learning like we don't need as much stuff. But but 10 years ago, what do you think was it that really resonated with people that that they loved the video and that it went so viral? I think it was listening to what I was saying about how much larger my life had become, how much more I could fill it when I wasn't worried mm. about working a job just to pay rent, just to pay for the stuff inside. Yeah. I didn't have to spend all that time organizing stuff, dusting stuff, moving stuff to get to other stuff, working to pay for that stuff. I was happy as a clam. I could mm. go travel. I would go see shows. I would go on yeah. my bike. I'd go to yoga class. I wasn't beholden to a job just to pay for stuff I didn't really need or want. And I think people are seeing that now. They're home. It's like, why do I have a closet full of all this stuff? Right. I have all this stuff on the shelves. We don't need it. to. We don't need the stuff to buy us happiness. Right. Happiness right. comes from the basic things. Getting out of your house once a day to go for a walk. You know, right. being able to zoom a loved one you haven't been able to see. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the, I think, real lessons in, in, in what's happened in the pandemic and everything is, it feels to me like people are learning to value very different things in this whole sort of con consumeristic society that we live in. That's all about, you know, the bigger house, the bigger car, more stuff. And people are finding, you know what, that's not what makes us happy. And that getting rid of the stuff actually gives us freedom. You, you know, there's an old uh, Native American proverb that you don't own the land, the land owns you. And when you think about it, you know, home ownership is like the big American dream, right? To own your own home. But when you own a home, you have to take care of it. You have to maintain it. Things are constantly breaking. I mean, I grew up uh, in, in a two-family house in the Bronx that we owned, and, and my mom was really in charge of it. And it seemed like there was always something going wrong in the house, and there was always some problem. And like as an adult, I've been living in apartments and I love living in an apartment because I don't have to shovel the snow. I don't have to take care of the grounds. You know, if there's something wrong with the plumbing, you, you call the maintenance guys and they fix it. And, and there's so much more freedom in that is what you're saying, that when we stick to the real basics, we're now free to do so much more. Absolutely. I mean, I realized, you know, when I after a year of living in that tiny space, my happiness went up. My credit card mm. bills went right down because I wasn't buying stuff because I had no place to put it, <laughs> but I wasn't missing it, right? I, uh, I, and I do. I say that all the time. You don't own the stuff. The stuff owns you because I work with so many clients who are overwhelmed. They don't know where to begin. They're afraid of the stuff. The stuff's piling on their couch, their dining room table. They they can't have people over their homes because they're embarrassed. And that's, right. just, that's just sad. So I love being able to help people kind of get rid of that stuff. Right. You know, my wife is is like you. She loves to get rid of stuff. She's always like going through cleaning out stuff, getting rid of it. When when this lockdown happened, oh my God, she went through every single closet. You know, she's like, come here, look at this stuff. Do we need it? Can we throw it out? You haven't used it in five years. Get rid of it. You know, I'm the exact opposite. I love holding on to things. And I think it probably comes from my mom because my mom was a big hoarder. I mean, when she... Uh, uh, when we finally moved her to an assisted living facility in Israel near my sister and me and my sister were going through her apartment up in Riverdale and we're just cleaning, going through all her stuff and we couldn't just 
kind of throw it out wholesale because there was like photos of her grandparents as children in between like all this garbage. So we had to really um, uh, take our time and like go through stuff. But there was so much junk that was totally unnecessary. Um, why do you think people tend to hold on to things that they're not really using? Well, there are some things like it, it depends on how people grow up. I, I teach a course to seniors. They're in their 80s, some of 103. Wow. And, and some of them still have stuff. I mean, we have stuff we're sentimental about. You know, yeah. you know, their husband might have passed. It was something they had together. Or mm -hmm. some people, you know, grew up during the Depression. And they didn't have stuff. Maybe your mother was like that. Or, you know, people are afraid they're going to need it one day just in case. And everybody has a drawer filled with just in case stuff. But uh, mm. you're never going to use those old phone cables again. I promise yeah. you. You know, everything, it just keeps changing. Yet we hold on to that stuff. Yeah. Why are we holding it? And, and every, you know, if you can't get rid of it right away, that's okay. You wait a couple months or a year later, you think, why did I hold on to that? Yeah. And you can't beat yourself up. It's the process. You've spent years collecting this stuff. But it's about, you know, now we have like Instagram. I always tell people, take a picture of it, post it, tell the story behind it, and then let it go. Oh. You know, a lot of people don't want to use the china. They use dishes from Ikea. Now, there's nothing wrong with Ikea dishes, but use the china. Tell a story. It was your grandmother's. And if yeah. a dish breaks, it breaks. It's only china. Right. Because um, it's, it's about the story behind it, not the stuff. Right. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah. Take a picture of it and tell the story and post it on social media. That's wonderful. Yeah. And it's been a process, too, because ever since I met my wife, she's like been helping me to clean up. Now, my wife comes from China and uh, <laughs> I got to read these comments on Facebook. You'd love it. And, and so she didn't have that much stuff when she came here, but I've lived here my whole life. So I have all this stuff back from childhood. And so it's like every time we do a big cleaning, not necessarily even every year, but we go through stuff and she's like, what about this? What about that? And like, there are some things, yeah, well, that's my writing from, from college and high school that I want to hold on to. You know, that's something I did then. Yeah, that has a very strong emotion behind it. But that, yeah, I don't really need that. I can get rid of it. Yeah, that's not so big. I can get rid of it. So I have to read this. So Sanaya on the Facebook Live says, yes, it's a job to hold on to things that are meaningless. I have stuff stress. Growing up with hoarders, learning to let go is often difficult. There is an initial guilt, but it is freeing and finally trim non-essentials. And then she says, phone cables. Oh, are you in my house? <laughs> you have no idea how many. Every single I, 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 I'm a tech guy, so I have tons of cables and all kinds of stuff. And uh, I, I hold on to them. But like, yeah, I just when we did this whole cleanup during the lockdown, I got rid of a whole bunch of cables that it's like uh, a VGA cable, a, old, a serial cable. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to need a serial cable anymore. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but that's it, right? That's like it, it, It's always like, oh, that one day, that one day I'm going to need it. And it's like, are you really going to need it? Right. Right. Think of all the you're paying rent for that stuff that's taking up your space. Yeah. You, if you really need something five years from now, you can go get it. Right. Probably an updated version, but right for sure. Yeah, I mean, and if you can like save by getting rid of stuff, if you can save money by making your space a little bit smaller, then the amount you save is going to be far more than having to replace it and buy it new in a few years, right? Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. 
So it's time for us to take another break. Um, this is our last break of the show. Oh, the conversation is going so fast. Um, all right. So I want to, uh, uh, when we come back, let's just talk a little bit more about like how your life has changed uh, since that video and the success and, and, and the book itself. You, you know, why you wrote a book after the video became so popular and, and what sort of uh, transpired since then. Okay. That's great. All right. So uh, everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We've been speaking this hour with Felice Cohen, author of the book, 90 Lessons for Living Large in 90 Square Feet. And we will be right back after this. And welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on talkradio.nyc and all over my Facebook pages. And we're talking uh, with Felice Cohen, author of the book, uh, 90 Lessons uh, Living in 90 Square Feet. Um, so uh, uh, what are, let's say, two or three of the biggest lessons from living in 90 square feet? Well, it is. It's living in 90 square feet or more. Or more. So it's not just for 90 square feet, 90 to 9,000. So some of the lessons, I try to give it simple because I, I couldn't be in everybody's closet helping them organize their stuff. So I wanted to make the lessons simple. And I think the first one that's is always breaking it down. Like we were talking about mm. the cables, you know, just take all the cables out one day and separate them, you know, and then see what you really need. Or I always say start with socks. Start small. The <laughs> socks are kind of, you don't have too much emotional attachment, let's hope, to socks. Right. And, and you pair them up. And then whatever doesn't have a partner or has a hole in the toe, you know, those that you still can't get rid of, yeah. get rid of them. Put them <laughs> on your hand like a sock puppet, dust the room, and then get rid of it. And, and when you just do socks, you just break down one thing, it doesn't feel as overwhelming. Right. Um, another thing I tell people is set the timer on your phone. Maybe set it for 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And when that timer goes off, know that you can stop. And mm. so knowing that you don't have to spend all day Saturday working on the garage, you can just spend a few chunks here and there, kind of takes the pressure off thinking you have to do it mm. all at once. Um, one thing I love to do with kids, with toys and stuff, is to use dice. My mom loves this too. Oh. You go room to room, roll a pair of dice, whatever number you get, that's how many things you either have to get rid of or put away. And it's just, it's really just little things to kind of, get you to do it. Um, you know, while we're home in this quarantine, it's hard sometimes when you feel like you have a whole day and it's hard to kind of get motivated. Sometimes people need that pressure of time or having to go somewhere. But, you know, I always try to say, you know, do something that you've been meaning to do. Probably is only going to take you 12 minutes and then reward yourself. You know, mm -hmm. once you finish this task, maybe you just go over one shelf or just your toiletries, then go for a walk. Have an ice cream cone, whatever you want. Just kind of push yourself, little things to kind of get you motivated. Uh, Sanaya on the Facebook Live says, I have several creative hobbies. It's often hard to manage my creative chaos. Any tips because they all need a spot? Art is everywhere. And she said, oh my gosh, yep. I'm buying dice today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. She could probably make her own dice out of something, uh, which would be creative. But, you know, for people who like art, maybe you have a bunch of colored pencils and you have paper and you have um, scissors and all kinds of things is, is to get containers that are maybe see-through. 
and really categorize the stuff. So maybe you set out a bunch of containers and the scissors and the sharp objects go here and the colored pencils go here and you can stack up. So I always say get the same size so they're uniform and they stack. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually took a woman's closet and I turned it into an office for her. So one oh. shelf we actually, she could put her laptop and on the other shelves we had supplies. And it's really about categorizing the stuff, getting rid of what you don't need mm -hmm. and then finding a space for it. And if, if art is her priority, which Sanaya, I hope it is, because we love art, mm -hmm. then maybe something else can get moved that's on a shelf that's within reach. Ah, I see. Yeah, so it's all about sort of prioritizing, I guess. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm curious, um, just because, I mean, I've never had a video, video go viral to 22 million people, but I will one day, I'm sure I will. Um, how has it changed your life? Like, like, it must have been a big surprise. You know, what's happened to you since then? Uh, it, it was pretty fun. I mean, what was exciting, what really the bottom line, the best thing that happened was after a while, the emails I got that said, I loved your apartment, I saw your video, that's so cool, was I saw your video and I bought the book about your grandfather. He uh -huh. was a hero. And I would call my grandfather after every email and he, you could hear him smiling through the phone. So mm. for me, that was the icing on the cake. And, you know, my grandfather was big into stocks and watching the ticker. He'd watch the TV all day long. And, uh. and now he would call me up and say, so how many books did we sell? You know, uh. he, would, he was so excited <laughs> about that. And, and I'd be able to tell him 900 books this week, a thousand books this week. And it was all over the world. And, you know, being on television and internet all over the, the world was mm. exciting. It was fun for sure. Man. But three different German television stations asked to interview me. And I oh, said, wow. absolutely, as long as you mention my grandfather's book. And oh, they all did. Wow. And for me, that was all that mattered for me. Mm. I mean, you know, it was. I love going around and talking about how to live tiny and how to organize. Right, and right. no matter where I go and talk about that, I do tiny house festivals around the world. I've got an online one this weekend. I always talk about oh. my grandfather oh. because the reason I moved into that tiny space was to write about him. Mm. And then that tiny space did a great marketing job right. for the book. So for me, that's all that, you know, right. So, so it sounds like it's really about trimming down, letting go of stuff to give you the freedom to do what you really want to do, right? It's about enabling people to follow their dreams by letting go of the things that don't support that. Absolutely. When I, when I work with a client, the first thing I say is not, what do you want to do? It's, what do you love to do? Mm. And then I, I ask, why don't you do it more often? And the reason is usually because of stuff. You know, we have to work to pay for stuff. We have to organize the stuff, clean the stuff. And and if we can eliminate some of that stuff, I don't go in and say you have to get rid of everything. I don't tell anybody what to get rid of, but I encourage them to see how much better their lives could be without this stuff burdening them and holding them back. Yeah, yeah. And you want to wake up and do you want to do meditation? Do you want to go for a bike ride? Mm -hmm. If you have fewer things you have to worry about, then you have the freedom to do that. Right. Right, right. And, and it sounds like also, uh, as you said, like there's the, this whole concept of tiny homes and these the, the, these whole conferences around it, that it's becoming more and more popular. It, it's really resonating with people today. Do, do you find, is there a particular demographic that it resonates with more than another? Is, like, is this more like younger people are getting into it or more older people? 
all ages. Mm -hmm. I have kids who are going to college who don't want to live in the dorms. I have people who just got married. They don't want to have a whole burden. They have they have uh, college um, fees they have to pay. They have to pay that back so they can live with less. Mm -hmm. They can work and pay off college loans. I have people retiring who mm -hmm. want to be able to travel and see their kids. I have people in the middle who have kids who just want to spend more time focusing on their families and less time being away from them. And it's really people just saying, I want to just live for a while and not be burdened with stuff. Yeah. And it's, you know, some people come to the, to the festivals just because they want to see the crazy people or they think it's cool, <laughs> but, but you really, it's amazing the conversations. And some people say, look, I'm going to keep living in my 2,500 square foot home, but I want to kind of clear out some of the clutter. Yeah, and yeah. it's really living large in any size space. Yeah, yeah. All right, we just got a minute left. Um, I, I want you to give out your contact information, how people can find you. But just what's next for Felice Cohen? Do you know what, what does the future hold for you? Do you have a sense? Um, I do have a memoir coming out soon. Oh. Um, so I'm kind of getting that done and ready. And um, I was working on a video with my grandfather of his the two of us talking, um, so you see that one-in-one -one video oh, uh, with cool. him about how we worked on the book. So you can see his face, the expressions. He's adorable. Cool, um, cool, wonderful. Yeah. Okay, so if people want to learn more about you, uh, find your books, uh, where should they go? Uh, they can go to my website, FeliceCohen.com, F-E-L-I-C-E-C-O-H-E-N. Uh, you can Google 90 Square Feet, and I will pop up. Um, the books are available on Amazon, anywhere books are sold. Right. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Felice, thank you so much for taking the time out today to, to come on the show. It was a pleasure talking with you both, uh, uh, very emotional and, and very uplifting. So I appreciate that. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's a great time. My pleasure. My pleasure. And, and uh, once quarantine is lifted and you're back in New York City, we got to get together and share a cup of coffee, tea or something else together. Okay. I would love that. Thanks. Okay, great. Well, thank you. And uh, thank you. Oh, and Sanaya says, stacking will be my new life. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Sanaya. And really, thank you, all my loyal listeners, for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And just a, a, a quick reminder, if anybody wants to learn more about my upcoming uh, class, uh, Podcast Your Passion, uh, so it's a wonderful overview for podcasting. Anyone wants to get in and do what I do today, it, it's a great way to get started. Um, please go to talkradio.nyc slash capital PYP. Um, or you can always just email me, Sam, at talkradio.nyc. Thank you all for tuning in. Stay tuned. Coming up next on talkradio.nyc is Ken Foster and his show, Voices of Courage. And we will talk to you next week. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.